You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered. Listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Brandon Blewett. And I'm Dee Kager. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, January 29th. 2024. Later in the program, dozens came out to protest IU's cancellation of Palestinian artist Samia Halabi outside the Eskenazi Art Museum on Friday. More in today's feature report. I don't understand this letter or I'm having problems with paying my rent. Navigating the systems and help them access the systems to which they have a right to access. That's Raquel Anderson from El Centro Comunal with some examples of the work their volunteers do to support Bloomington's Latino community. Find out more later on in the show on our new episode of Activate. But first, your daily headlines. At the Monroe County Commissioner's meeting on January 24th, Health Department Director Lori Kelly gave an update on influenza cases in the region. Uh, Good morning. Just a few updates for you today. In Indiana, influenza is now noted at speed at moderate levels. There have been 13 um, influenza-associated deaths in Indiana since January 13th. COVID wastewater concentrations have continued to see small increases, uh, but emergency room visits have decreased. We do still have COVID and flu vaccines available. You can call 812-353-3244 for an appointment. Next, Chief Deputy Phil Parker gave a department update on the jail facilities, which he clarified did not have any heating issues during the cold spell. Got lots and lots of phone calls over last week when the, um, the center was closed about the heat in the, in the jail. I'll make it very clear, we had no heat issues in the jail. Uh, at all. So we were very, very grateful for that. But I want to put the public's mind to ease that uh, uh, actually, I, I, you know, that building is, you can't, you can't figure it out. It's, uh, yeah. you, we were overly warm on a couple of those floors there. It, it got really hot. So I don't know if the heat got diverted or whatever, but there were no issues. So everybody uh, can, can uh, feel safe that nobody was, nobody was cold in the facility. Although they didn't have heating issues, he shared that they do have other infrastructure issues, the most recent one being the plumbing. A, a, a truth about this, this facility, I would say at least two to three days every morning when we come in to start that day, we are dealing with some type of infrastructure issue in that facility. It is, it is literally that pervasive and you know it can be it can be plumbing it can be electrical it can be actual structural issues and i'm going to go through a few of those and i'm not going to belabor the point but i think it's important that we we reinforce this um this reality that this this building it's not as simple like if your hot water goes out in your house, you know, you, you replace the elements in your hot water heater. Well, it doesn't work that way. We've got, you know, probably miles of hot water lines that run through that facility from floor five to, you know, to floor one. And any place 
where you're, you're having a hot water issue, that could be somewhere you can't find. So that, that brings me to exactly what happened. We had a hot water issue here, um, and it affected K-Block, the inmate worker dorms, and the first floor dorm. So Dave and his crew um, diagnosed that. And so what happened here is we replaced the mixing valves. Uh, still no hot water. Like, oh, okay. We replaced the hot water controls there. It's, it's, it's this little cubby hole. I know exactly where it's at. It's right outside my office, actually, but no hot water. So this, this makes my point. So what we found was there was a section of piping that we found that had scaled in and had narrowed to the point that was, there wasn't hardly any water, so it affected the pressure. And by the time the water got to where it was going to be, it turned cold. So we've got it corrected, but that's the type of thing that we fight every single day in that facility. Um, uh, we replaced all of the kitchen valve uh, or kitchen faucet. All the valve stems, every one of them, were leaking. So those have all been replaced over the last uh, couple weeks. That in turn causes leaks down below. You know, water goes down most of the time. Um, then we made um, repairs to um, D block, and what had happened is the pass-through doors between blocks, uh, with those doors opening and closing over the years the actual blocks had become dislodged and we had to go, uh, we had to come up with an innovative way to shore up those doors <clears throat> so that the concrete blocks would, would hold true where we could maintain separation between those blocks. So, you know, I don't, uh, I don't want to go on and on about this, but I, I think we're getting the drift here, right? Um, uh, shower repairs are ongoing and constant. Um, the showers are so broken down that every time we fix them, we know it's a Band-Aid. We, we know it, but the water, uh, the, 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 the bases separate from the walls. They have to be uh, sealed back up. Then they'll separate again. There, it, it's just there's no way to hold tight to them. So those are the types of things, and that's just a small list of what that facility presents to us every single day. And I'm not sitting here complaining about it, but I think it's noteworthy that we all know what we're what we're dealing with there um, in terms of how the facility is um, affecting operations in that jail and what we've got to do every day just to keep in, in front of it. Later in the meeting, the commissioners heard from County Attorney Jeff Cockrell about a memorandum of understanding with the community kitchen to help fund their new facility. Uh, yes, um, before you is in a memorandum of understanding with the community kitchen on the cover sheet. It indicates that we were working on some some of the provisions for the auditing. Auditing we uh, that is in what you currently have section four, and so it gets, just kind of goes through the different scenarios that may f fall into. I think the the biggest one that I wasn't aware of is the. Entity annual report E1. Community Kitchen already files those so that so they don't have any problems with that. Uh, we do not anticipate that they are going to get more than $750,000 in federal money, uh, but it is only January. And if they maybe have some good luck, they may have to. So we have those uh, those requirements in there as well. Um, this they will be a sub recipient of ours. And so it also indicates that they have a three-year term where they have to make sure they that all the documents and materials that we may need for an audit, they have to maintain for that period of time. 
Um, this was uh, appropriated last night by the, the county council. Um, and so what we are doing is we are reimbursing um, some of their expenses to free up their cash flow so that they can continue with their kitchen project. Commissioner Penny Givens shared her support for the new facility. No, I'm really pleased that we're able to do this, especially knowing that this that part of this will help them to fund a, a new facility right, because it reimburses them uh, and a facility in an area where um, they'll serve lower income families, you know, and we, we've had multiple discussions about how this impacts kids, child development, things like that. And so I'm really proud that we are able to do this. It, it's, a, it's an infrastructure addition mm -hmm. to our community that will be there for decades to come. Commissioner Lee Jones added that the location will help with the food desert. If I'm correct about the location, it's going into an area that has now become a food desert. And so this may be one of the very few places where people can actually get to to get food. The commissioners unanimously approved the Memorandum of Understanding. The next Monroe County Commissioners meeting will be held on January 31st. During department updates at the Monroe County Council meeting on January 23rd, the Sheriff Department Financial Coordinator Jordan Miller presented the semi-annual Commissary Fund Report. I'm here today or this evening to discuss the Commissary Summary for the second portion of 2023. <clears throat> I'll start off by mentioning the balance as of July 1st was $110,614.80. Uh, there were $103,497.83 worth of receipts, um, $173,015.38 worth of expenditures um, with an ending balance of $41,519.27. I figured it might be beneficial to just kind of go over uh, some of the larger expenditures, starting with equipment. Um, it's approximately 52.5% of that 173,000 and change, um, primarily inmate clothing, hygiene products, blankets, things of the like. Uh, Bob Barker was one of the, as the probably the biggest um, vendor that we use for those types of equipment items. Um, and then of course, uh, some Nelson and Company and handcuffs, things of that sort from uh, Nelson, uh, excuse me, from Galls uh, that were for our um, pillows, pants, flashlights, things of that. Uh, things like that. Uh, the next item or next expenditure was the tech equipment, which was approximately 23.9%. Um, and those were for things uh, such as uh, hosted Windscribe subscription, uh, basically protection and things of that sort. I'm sure uh, individuals up there might be able to explain that a little bit better than myself, but uh, security and such um, for servers and databases, things of that need. Uh, and finally, uh, just Commissary inventory is a large, uh, approximately 15% of those expenses, uh, which is primarily pouches, e-cigs, uh, and beverages from Pepsi-Cola. So uh, at this point, I have listed things by categories. I didn't choose to uh, go into detail about some of the more um, obvious ones, such as inmate haircuts uh, and document destruction. But if you might have any particular or specific questions, I'd be glad to answer any of those that, uh, that might arise. Councilmember Kate Wiltz thanked him for the promptness of the report. I just wanted to say thanks for the, your prompt uh, presentation and delivery of this report because um, it may seem like not that big a deal um, to 
you all in the grand scheme of, of your budget, but um, it's very informative for us to kind of understand um, another aspect of what goes on in, in the jail. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Marty Hawk said that the transparency of the report serves to show the public that the sheriff's department is being run well. Yes, it's important uh, that you share this information with the public because uh, it is one of the places that uh, sheriffs can get in trouble if they are of a mind to do that. I'm so glad we don't have that problem here. But this is showing the public that we don't have a problem here and we are not trying to hide anything that's going on with the uh, finances uh, because this is a, a budget that does not require appropriation and so you wouldn't be required to you know tell us routinely uh, as often as you might but I expect any time anybody wants to ask you about this that we'll get an answer so absolutely. I appreciate that absolutely Councilmember Jeff McKim asked about the expenditures and if they were one-time purchases. Miller responded and Jail Commander Kyle Gibbons added more details about what has led to the recent increase in expenses. Since the expenditures are greater than the, um, uh, than the revenue, obviously, they're spending down uh, existing balance. Uh, is that going to be an issue or were some of the, for example, some of the equipment charges essentially one-time expenses? That there were a number of, um, of items, equipment purchased that were one-time expenses. Um, so we do project uh, that, that number, that balance to, to actually grow quite a bit. We are. And, sure. So some of the issue originally was uh, in terms of housing, we house about on the average right now, 60 to 75 more people. So mats. Uh, inmate uniforms, hygiene stuff. We spent a lot of money, actually more than we anticipated, on whites, um, shirts, underwear, bras, uh, all of those things. So what we're trying to do is figure out a way, if you're here for a certain amount of time, we can take some of that back, launder it, unless you need it when you leave. If you, if you come in with things, we make sure you leave with things. But if you don't, then you leave with the things that we purchased. So we're trying to find a way to recycle some of that cost. And you'll see that our, our, our sum go up. So, thank you. Later during the meeting, Convention and Visitors Commission member Michael Campbell asked the council to approve an additional appropriation of funds for Karst Turf Project. Uh, I want to let you know on November the 28th, the Convention and Visitors Commission voted uh, to approve an additional allocation uh, for $500,000 um, out of our general fund for this important development in our community. Um, this reinvestment in our community will add to all of our quality of life. It will also help us, uh, this community, recruit tournaments and draw events to our county promoting tourism and allow for the economic benefits of tourism to continue to bear fruit. While the CVC remains committed to the expansion of the convention center as the single biggest priority, this project was an opportunity for our community we could not pass up. We asked for the additional request of uh, 500,000 from the general fund. This is in addition to our 2024 budget. These funds, as a reminder, come fully from the innkeeper's tax which is collected from hotels, motels, bed and breakfasts, and short-term rentals. I want to assure you that the general fund is at a level it can provide this allocation 
and still meet all our budgeted allocations and commitments for 2024 and allow us to plan for the needs and requirements uh, for the CVC as we move into uh, planning for an expanded convention center. Parks and Recreation Director Kelly Whitmer spoke next to share her support for the project. We're very excited with all the support from the council and the commissioners and Mr. Campbell, of course. Um, tomorrow, the commissioners hopefully will be approving the engineering design company, Bledsoe Rigger Cooper James. We already have two site visits that we're going to Rose Holbin and we're going to Washington High School to look at, excuse me, natural infield for the synthetic turf. And what that is, is that when you watch an NFL game, you'll see the players dive across the field and you see black pellets come up. That's called crumb rubber. We are not going to be having crumb rubber on these fields. We will have a natural infield, which Washington High School and Rose Holman both have. And the fields usually are 20 degrees cooler than the crumb rubber fields. So basically it's carpet and you, and you put some infill in it. And also when we do natural infield, we have a shock pad that we put under it. And that shock pad should last around 20 years. And the carpet, synthetic, will last about every 10 years and the top portion will need to be replaced. So we're moving along. We're not going to rush things because we're going to get this design correct the first time. If everything goes well, we may have synthetic fields September of 2024, but everything has to go perfect. If not, it'll go into 2025 with the other projects, drainage, irrigation, uh, LED lights, um, three extra fields will be lit, including these synthetic fields. So this is a game changer. McKim thanked Whitmer for her work to ensure the field is environmentally friendly. The council voted unanimously to approve the appropriation of funds for the project. The next Monroe County Council meeting will be held on February 13th. Demonstrators gathered outside the Eskenazi Art Museum to protest Indiana University's canceling the art exhibition of Palestinian-American artist Samia Halaby. A retrospective featuring Halaby's work was slated to open on February 10th. In late December, the museum canceled the exhibit. This came in the aftermath of Halaby's statements online criticizing Israel's war on Gaza. Reed Hepburn a concerned community member and organizer of the protest, said the cancellation of Halaby's exhibit goes against the university's principles of academic freedom and diversity. So our main focus was the cancellation of an art exhibit um, by a Palestinian artist, Samia Halaby. It was something that had been planned for three years at the Eskenazi Art Museum. Um, a grad student uh, spent years working on this as one of her culminating projects. Um, and it was canceled last minute with the only explanation being safety concerns. But given the um, recent events on campus, including the suspension of Professor Sino recently, um, it's really, really clear that this is not a question of safety. It's a question of uh, Halabi's identity as a Palestinian and the fact that she's been vocally supportive online of uh, Palestinian rights uh, and speaking out against the genocide that's happening right now in Gaza. Um, so in that context, you know, we really, really felt that it was important to demonstrate the IU community wants this exhibit. Um, we want freedom of speech. Um, you know, the cancellation is a total breach of 
um, IU's principles of academic freedom and diversity. Hepburn said that he wants to see the university reinstate the exhibit and acknowledge the suffering of the Palestinian people. So first of all, they need to uh, actually live up to their values of freedom of speech, freedom of expression, um, and allow a full conversation to happen about this. I know that there are really divisive opinions um, on this topic, but um, the, the climate here has been one of just completely silencing Palestinian voices or any support of Palestine. I think the, the university needs to um, reinstate this exhibit, for one. They need to reinstate Professor Sino, um, for two. Um, and they need to actually acknowledge the, the suffering of the Palestinian people. Messaging from the president's office thus far has not even mentioned the Palestinian people whatsoever. Um, and they could, they, could, they could acknowledge that without, quote-unquote, taking sides um, and just acknowledge the humanity of Palestinian people because to this point they've simply erased Palestinian identity entirely as if it doesn't exist. Protesters directed their frustration at IU President Pamela Witten. Hepburn reiterated that acknowledgement is key when it comes to his preferred response from President Witten's office. I feel that she should come out and say that similar things to what she's said with other, you know, in other conflicts. Um, if I'm not mistaken, they were very quick in expressing their condolences for the Ukrainian people when Ukraine was invaded. And this should be treated as an exactly analogous situation. They can, um, uh, I, I think that they need to acknowledge that there are, uh, you know, there are innocent people being killed. Um, so, you know, something at least acknowledging that is, as I think, the bare minimum. Hepburn said that society needs to end the culture of silence and complicity surrounding Israel's war on Gaza. I just think we need to break this culture of silence. Um, I, I know that there are there are ideas of keeping politics out of work, keeping politics um, out of you know public discourse if it's too controversial. But in this situation, we're we're witnessing genocide, literally. Um, and it would be shameful for us to just sit silent, um, knowing that the United States is supplying the weapons for this genocide. Um, and that IU has supported the U U.S. military. And um, I guess that's another thing that I think the, the president needs to, needs to act on, is, is starting to divest from those investments. An IU spokesperson told WFHB News in an email, quote, Academic leaders and campus officials canceled the exhibit due to concerns about guaranteeing the security of the exhibit for its duration. End quote. Art not wrong. Art not wrong. A local nonprofit is looking for volunteers to help support Bloomington's Latino community. Raquel Anderson is on the board of directors over at El Centro Comunal, a grassroots organization completely independent of the university or government. Raquel is our guest this week on our new episode of Activate, coming your way right now on the WFHB Local News.
Welcome to Activate, featuring real people working for positive change in our community, encouraging you to get involved, live your passion, and make a difference. Hi, I'm Raquel Anderson from El Centro Comunal Latino. El Centro Comunal Latino, or the Latino Community Center, is a grassroots organization established here in Bloomington that aims to support and advocate for the Latino community in Bloomington and Monroe County. Via a variety of activities, initiatives, we support families, individuals from Latino backgrounds in many aspects of community life. So it, it is uh, operated by volunteer board members we're all volunteers, and we also have uh, a person that we employ to work at the site, at the community center's offices, which are in the Monroe County Public Library. At the office, we help in terms of navigating the systems and understanding the systems and providing them information that would help them access the systems to which they have a right to access. I don't understand this letter, or I'm having problems with paying my rent, or uh, needing some referrals for legal aid, or those types of things. I think that's what I, I, I think I'm most proud of, that day-to-day -day little things that we do, the daily work that is done, I think it's really important. The most important initiative, or one of the most important initiatives, started a while back ago when we partnered with the Indiana Minority Health Coalition, and that is a coalition within Indiana that supports grassroots organizations to provide health-related uh, support information to marginalized communities or underserved communities. So we partnered with them and we receive uh, support, financial support for them, and we have been able to develop health-related initiatives such as camps for kids, diabetes information, mental health. I think also important to mention that we also established an interpreter network. So if individuals need interpreters, they can contact Centro Comunal Latino. So that's also a, a service that supports our community. It matters to me because I'm Latina. I just feel very, very connected to my identity and to the people that are in this community. Um, I've seen it grow. I've seen the issues that have emerged. And um, I feel very strongly about the need to support such a great community. Volunteers can help in many different ways. So uh, they can work at the office. They can help at the office in whatever needs they are, answering phones, getting information as to what the needs are so that they know where to go and, and know what information to provide. They can also participate in some of the programs that we have already in place. We do have a tutoring program um, in the evenings. That, that's one thing where we have people volunteer. There are many opportunities, and we can probably think of one with which you could help us. If individuals are interested in supporting us or working with us in any way, they can always uh, contact us via our Facebook page, El Centro Comunal Latino, and you will find it if you search for us. We're also located at the Monroe County Public Library. It's the second floor, the Monroe County Public Library near the Indiana Room.
um, just around the bathrooms. You will find us there. Thank you for listening. My name is Raquel Anderson from El Centro Comunal Latino, the Latino Community Center, y sigamos adelante. You've been listening to Activate, true stories from friends and neighbors who stand up for what they believe in. Activate is a partnership between WFHB and the City of Bloomington Volunteer Network, working together to build a strong, healthy, and engaged community with production support from students in the media school at Indiana University. You can learn more about volunteer opportunities in the WFHB listening area online at bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org. That's bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolar.com.